Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. So today, we're actually going to have an article that Katina is going to share with us. Want to tell us what it's about? Yes. So this article is about social class, which is not something that comes up a lot in our literature, and our research. And it's basically about how people who transition social classes from their parents' sort of social background to what their social background ends up being, um, their education and occupational status, how people who are upwardly mobile are viewed by others in the workplace, and how they view themselves and how that impacts something that's important for wellness, which is your ability to like speak up and be heard at work. This is so fascinating. It, like you said, it doesn't come up that often, but it's so important. And it is definitely something that you see, right? People changing classes up or down or whatever. And there are differences because if you're raised a certain way, if you've been in a certain class, um, unfortunately, you know, we don't live in a classless society and there's just differences in terms of your experience, et cetera. And that can make a big impact on the interactions you have with other people. Yeah. Yeah. And the article uh, really highlights how we've paid a lot of attention to other forms of diversity and how they impact people's perceptions of us at work, but we've paid far less attention to social class and the way that people make judgments about people based on their social class. And so part of what uh, the article shows is actually how people do make those judgments. So having people read scenarios about people who either consistently had an, a more elite background versus people who started off from a less elite background and now have a more elite background and how their um, managers perceive them and then how that actually impacts um, whether or not their managers seek out their advice on things versus how they view themselves given they may feel positively that they've been able to, even though it's very, very difficult to do, um, in society, folks that change social classes tend to feel positively about their capabilities. So um, anyway, it is a mystery that I will reveal later, but I Yay. really like the topic because I don't see a lot about it, even though it's an important form of diversity. Agreed. I'm excited to hear more about it. Um, but before we do, let's talk about, well, first, I do want to just plug really quick for those of you listening. If you haven't heard already, we've launched our worker being community. So I'll have a link Yay. in the show notes if you want to join us. And that leads me to the fact that we've been talking a lot about birthdays in the community because someone just had a birthday. Yes, I did. It was me. <laughs> um, yeah, so my birthday was this weekend. It was really nice. My parents came for the weekend. Um, and it was perfect timing because Patricia ordered for my birthday gift a plate of cheese and meats and cheesecake to get delivered to the house from a place near here that um, I love called Cheese Teak. And literally my parents arrived and Brendan and I were like, I wish that we had some sort of like a snacky type thing because we're like kind of hungry. And the DoorDash person arrived at the same time as my parents. <laughs> and we just like immediately put out the stuff that you uh, that you sent over. And it was so delightful. So it was like actually perfect timing. Like it was literally like they pulled up at the same time as DoorDash. And we were like, oh, food got delivered at the same time that they did. This is wonderful. <laughs> That worked out. That's nice. Yes. That's good to it was hear. Perfect timing. Yes, it was perfect timing, and it was delish. So that was an awesome, good treat. Um, yeah. So it was fun. We good. got some dinner, and then we ate um, brunch at a place that like overlooks the Potomac. But it was a little mm. funny because it's been super cold here, and the only space they had to put us was outside. 
<laughs> so I was very worried that I was going to like freeze my parents being outside. I prefer to be outside just because it's like a little safer, but I also didn't want my parents to freeze. Um, but it actually ended up because we were like high up the sun and they had like a little heater out there. We all were like nice and toasty. So it oh. turned out well. Well, that's good. Glad yes. to hear that. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I'm glad that cheese teak thing worked out because I definitely was like, I was trying to think of like something fun to send you. And I was like, what should I get Katina? And I was like, you know what? Like we always, I know you love your cheeses. Yes, and, I do. and I was like, it might be kind of fun to like send over a treat. Like, yeah. And I was, I was curious so to hear how it went because of the, like, I haven't really done that as a gift with DoorDash and sounds like it was perfect. So that's, it was so, so good. Happy. It arrived right at the exact right time. So it was perfect. Everyone loved it. It was great. And then, um, the other thing that I did this weekend, um, after my parents left and actually before, um, on Friday night was that I watched almost all of this season of cheer. <laughs> I saw that on your Instagram and I was like, Oh, yeah. I haven't watched the second season yet. It's a very like different season. than the first Oh, one. Okay. Because of all the like hardships that they went through and like all the horrible stuff with Jerry and then like COVID and like very bad things happen. I mean, it's all relative, but like it's like not the same tenor at all of the first season. Oh, now I'm a little scared. <laughs> it's not like it's not like some like like horror movie or something, but like it's definitely like a darker season than before kind of looking into like what is actually going on behind the scenes in cheer and mm. what are the problems in the sport and kind of goes into some interpersonal issues that have been happening behind the scenes that didn't get highlighted as much in season one so anyway I liked it. I I mean I'm not I still have two episodes left but it's a good season but just to like I feel like the first season was like had some like little dramas but I feel like it was more like oh yeah. yeah, this season's like a little dark. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That yes, is super interesting. I, well, but I'm, I like love it all. I love watching all of it, and I'm like describing every mount to Brendan. I'm like, that's that's a wolf wall. That's an arabesque. That's a basket <laughs> toss. Like, and he's just like, okay, he's like, great. I don't care. I don't yeah. need the names. Yeah. So, but it was fun. We had a good time. I mean, I did. I don't know if Brendan did um, <laughs> watching cheer, but I know you also had a fun weekend. I did. It was my friend's bachelorette. And so we went to Palm Springs um, and it was like a very low key, like COVID friendly bachelorette, small group of girls. Um, it actually warmed up enough to go in the pools. We had like a pool day, lots of cocktails, lots of storytelling about, you know, other people's weddings at the party and like, you know, hearing about like the plans for the honeymoon eventually for the couple that are getting married. So like it was just fun, like kind of catching up with. And it was also fun because all the the women that were involved have known each other forever. So like this is my best friend from high school, Rachel's bachelorette. Known her since freshman year of high school. Um, Allie, our podcast producer. Hi, Allie. Uh, she was Hi. there. <laughs> um, also known her since high school. And then this other, um, Rachel's like closest friend in life. Uh, another Rachel. They both have the same name. <laughs> um, their mothers were best friends and yet still named their children the same thing. And they're born like 
two and a half weeks apart. <laughs> so That's so funny. Two Rachels. Um, so the other Rachel, like she's obviously known for her entire life, but because we've also known Rachel for so long, like we met the other Rachel a long time ago too. Um, haven't seen her in a little while, so it was nice to catch up. But so it's like people that we just like really know each other. So yeah. it just made it like very, very comfortable and relaxed. So not like, I mean, I think it's still fun when you have bachelorettes with people you don't know, like, you know, different pockets of people's lives. Like it's still fun, but there was something like extra calming about the fact that we all knew each other very well. Yeah. It's like a certain, just like comfort. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was Yay. great. It was great. Lots of food, lots of drinks and lots of sun. Can't complain. That is very exciting. It sounds like you had a fun time and I had a fun time. And now we're back to Monday. Back to Monday. Talking about research. That's yep. my song. I'm sure that everyone <laughs> hated it. It's a really it, good song. But... <laughs> no. No, they loved it. They're going to rewind it and replay it, it many times. It should be our, like, our tag song, right? Like maybe <laughs> Allie can cut it and put it at the end of every single episode. Research. But um... <laughs> It's like when we first started the podcast and... They had it. We like didn't understand yet that if you talk while another person's talking, it gets like really distracting. And so we had all those like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like Allie made like a super cut of them. Yeah. That was just like so us being like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like a million. <laughs> we were going to use that for something too, but we never did. No, we didn't. But anyways, song aside, now that we're here on Monday, on yes. Monday, not at Monday, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> let's talk about social class. Um, okay. Curious to hear about it for sure. Yes. So this article is brand, brand new. It's called Upward Mobility, the Cleft Habitus, which I will tell you what that is. No. But it's not really super important. Like that's like a little over the top. Um, <laughs> and speaking up how class transitions relate to individual and organizational antecedents of voice. And it's by Sean Martin and Spencer Harrison in the Academy Management Journal. And it just, just came out. Brand new. Brand new. So basically the frame up on the article, as I sort of alluded to before, is that we know that people from lower social class positions face some barriers. uh, And it's more difficult for folks to get into like university settings or professional companies um, that will help them to become upwardly mobile because people judge people based on their background. And when we're thinking about background, we're really thinking about their parents' education level and their parents' occupational prestige. So if you remember, when you apply to college, you put those sorts of things on your application. I remember having to write down, like, what do your parents do? Um, And so there are markers or signs of things that people did, neighborhoods that they grew up in, et cetera, even in the employment process that people can get wind of. Um, And there's a sort of theory that people who start from more humble beginnings tend to also have like attitudinal or behavioral markers that tell people that they didn't come from an elite social class their whole lives. So things like their accent, um, the types of clothing that they wear like even if they might have become more wealthy they might not have the same like level of uh of expensive clothing or bags or shoes like they didn't grow an early uh like care for that so like there are some signals that people can use to tell if you think about just like when you look at a person 
to be like oh that person it sounds weird but like that person looks like they've been rich their whole life and that person does not look that way <laughs> mm-hmm. so people can kind of tell or they make judgments about people's class backgrounds based on what they look like um how they speak and then other indicators like where they went to school, if they know where their parents went to school, if they have a sense of what their parents' backgrounds were, et cetera, which in the workplace, people would maybe gain some of that information if you got to know your coworkers and asked about their childhood or things like that as well. Right, right. So that's kind of the frame up is people that come from um, social class backgrounds that people perceive as, you know, not as good get judged more harshly um, and that there are like multiple factors that we can use to pick up on that in society that actually have an impact for people who come from backgrounds um, that are considered lower social class. This is going to be like a super silly example, but I was watching an episode of Real Housewives um, (laughs) and they, uh, I don't even remember. I think it was Beverly Hills. I don't know. I haven't seen like the entire series, but I was watching an episode and um, there was some commentary in this episode about like one of the women that like is more newly rich and then like like from another woman who's more long term rich, if that makes yeah. sense, like longer family history of being wealthy. There's not a lot, honestly, like most of the people on the show are, um, I think wealthy they're more, forever. like, no, I think they're more wealthy, like more sort of newly wealthy huh, um, interesting. but there's definitely like some gaps or like people that have been like even people that have been wealthy for like 30 40 50 years versus someone that like just married a rich guy right and, right 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 and is yeah. now wealthy um so right. like there was some commentary i can't remember what it was but i just remember being like like i did not pick up on the fact that they dressed differently but the people that were more wealthy clearly did um, yes. So I thought that was really interesting and it kind of ties into what you're saying. Like uh, there's, there are some visual cues that maybe not everybody's aware of all the time, but they do exist. Yeah. And they, they, uh, looked at, they found that their results in this study that I'm going to present held regardless of the social class of the person that was, um, looking at or observing the person. It had a, uh, some impact, but, um, there's some other research that shows that, the higher social class you are, the more fine-grained distinctions you make about other people's social class. So, like, mm. you're aware that, like, shoes could cost $800. So you know what $800 shoes are. And when you see someone wearing $100 shoes, you know the difference between those shoes and other shoes, whereas other people might not be as aware of all the distinctions because they're not hanging around looking in stores for $800 shoes, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so there is some research on that. Um, I should also mention that, um, it's really hard to be upwardly mobile, um, because of the way society is set up, like where you start in life is highly predictive of where you end up. And in recent years, it's gotten even harder. So, um, we're not uh, sort of saying like being upwardly mobile is something that's easy and everyone should just do it. Um, but this study does uh, focus on people who have changed social classes versus people who have always had elite status. Um, and so, but I just wanted to frame that up to say it's not an expectation in this article or like that we're saying that that's just like something that's easy to do. It's actually hard to do. Mm-hmm. But 
when people do it, they end up in these elite circles or more elite circles. Um, but there are some differences that the research has found that they bring that are positive to workplaces compared to people who have always been from these more elite circles. So some research suggests that people who start off from lower class backgrounds are less narcissistic, less entitled. They're more likely to make ethical decisions and they're better able to have empathy with a wider range of people than those who come from a higher class background their whole life. Um, so not only is it important for people to recognize um, how they might judge someone whose background suggests to them or their current appearance suggests to them that they haven't always come from an elite background, it can also bring positive things to the workplace to have individuals at work who have more humble backgrounds. Um, so basically this article is looking at how people who are upwardly mobile view themselves and then how others view people who are upwardly mobile. And the idea here is that people who are upwardly mobile tend to feel pretty proud about themselves that they were able to switch social classes based on whatever it was that allowed them to do that. But if most of the people that you ask, if you ask them, they say it was hard work, et cetera. Again, not to say that people who don't switch social classes are not working hard, but um, they feel like proud of themselves that they were able to get uh, get into a job where mostly only Ivy League graduates get hired, but they didn't go to an Ivy League school, for example. Um, yeah. So they feel proud of themselves that they're able to do that. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that when people are upwardly mobile, they feel more self-efficacious, which is the idea that they feel more confident in their general skills and abilities, and that this will lead them to actually want to and to try to speak up more at work, that they feel more confident in themselves, they feel like they have a voice that's worth listening to, and so they're more likely to actually speak up and say something. Um, and so these are things like talking to your direct supervisor with ideas about new processes or policies or products or giving suggestions about how to improve the group to a supervisor or pointing out things that might not be going as well and try to give guidance on what might be done to tamp down those things. So the idea of voice is like, I feel confident that I have something to share that can actually improve my workplace. And we know that having a voice at work is related to well-being. So Having a voice at work increases your perceptions of control, which tends to increase your perception, your um, your wellness overall from like a mental health perspective. Um, it also lowers stress because you feel like you have more control and more influence. It can give you like a higher connection to purpose. So voice is actually pretty important. And so it's kind of interesting that they're saying that when people are upwardly mobile, that increases their self-efficacy and that makes them more likely to display their voice at work, which then we would assume has these positive consequences, even though this article didn't focus on those. Yeah, I think it's really, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that if you are, you know, doing better than your parents, doing better than, you know, maybe even your peers from your childhood, if you will, um, that that would make you feel really proud and and like confident in yourself because you've made this this movement right and like you were saying it's really hard to make these movements but as humans we tend to put um like if we do something good then we put it on ourselves like we 
are the accomplishers of this thing, right? Like, um, so yeah. like buying into the meritocracy, like buying into the fact that like I'm that great and that's how I was able to do this. Um, not saying people that don't move up, um, aren't great, right? They could very easily be great, but there's like a lot of factors that probably have come into it. Um, but they're not going to focus on that. They're really going to focus on the fact that like I got to this place. I'm proud. I did this hard work. I'm special and here I am and now I feel confident um so it makes a lot of sense like that just follows in line with human nature so I'm not surprised to hear that yeah so they basically make the case that you know it's possible that people um feel this way about themselves um and then that causes them to be like you know what I do have something worthwhile to say even in this more elite environment where maybe in the past I would be um you know, more uh, inclined to feel timid about speaking up. Like, no, I do have something to say. I am valuable in this environment and my suggestions matter. Um, so that idea uh, is sort of in um, in like uh, contrast to what they're sort of putting out there as being how um, supervisors actually view individuals um, who are upwardly mobile. So what they think about supervisors um, is that social class signals might actually activate how competent people think they are. Even though they've been able to change social class, there's still some stigma associated with their background. And so compared to someone who someone might think, well, all of their time has been spent being in this elite group that must mean they're extra special compared to someone who is maybe in that group now but wasn't before that people might actually come to believe even though if we think about it it doesn't necessarily make sense that people might believe like well it's good that they got themselves here now but their background probably makes them a little bit less competent than someone who always has been exposed to these ways of doing things or these ways of thinking or comes from like a bloodline of family that fits in that elite category right like there must be something better about them Mm. because they've come from an educated and wealthy background the whole time so while people who switch social classes might feel really good about themselves because of what they've done people might still associate a stigma with where they were before and apply that stigma to them now even though they've achieved the same goals as the other people in the company who have these elite backgrounds yeah um Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that that's interesting, but it does make sense because we see like, I think all of us, and obviously probably where the scientists are getting some of these hypotheses and thoughts is like all of us can feel that in our society, right? Like we know that there are certain people that are embarrassed to talk about their backgrounds if they come from like lower income families, for example, and they're now at a different level right like you do see Mm -hmm. that kind of embarrassment that like shame that people like are hiding that um which obviously is extremely sad uh but similar to like anything that we've talked about in the past like the whole idea of like authenticity in the workplace I'm sure that there's like some baggage that can come in with that um but anyways that's a tangent but my point is that the fact that people do seem to have this type of response in society to be more quiet and ashamed of backgrounds that may not be as elite once they get to those elite steps like it's clear that there's some stigma going on right we already know that the stigma is there and so it's interesting to think about it in the workplace and having people take that bring that into the workplace I had not thought about that before yeah yeah and so um they're sort of arguing that this 
perception that people have is like sticky and that instead of saying oh like wow this person you know was able to get into this elite group even though they didn't start off with access to that group it's viewed as like well that's good but you're not the same as people who have always had access or or you don't come from the same uh, sort of prestigious lineage or whatever like you're saying there's another piece that they also mention which is that um individuals from lower social class backgrounds may be viewed as less of a cultural fit in more elite environments so that it's not just that people think well you know you could see it as a a glass half full right like oh this person has talents and skills to get themselves into an environment that they didn't have exposure to before and that might mean that they're even better at you know doing these things than other people who had easier access but also that people will say well what it really takes to get along in here and fit into the company is that you are like us and so if I every time I see something that departs from what I think of as being the prototype of someone who's in these more elite environments I'm going to think that the person is a less cultural fit so not only are people seeing like the glass half empty in terms of well, you've got half the credentials that these people see instead of seeing, oh, like changing social classes might tell me something interesting about your skills and abilities that's positive. Seeing it as glass half empty for competence, they might also see it as glass half empty for cultural fit. Like you just don't have the pedigree like everyone else does to know how to get along in this environment the same way. Did Was a study done in the U.S.? Just a quick question. Uh, so there's actually three studies. Oh. Um, yeah. So I'm going to get into each of them. I believe that one was in the U.S., one wasn't, and one's an experiment mm -hmm. that was done on like MTurk, which probably, I don't remember if it was um, everybody from the U.S. or not. I okay. can check real quick. Oh, no, it's not a big deal. It's just I'm just thinking about like the U.S. in general, because like culturally, we're definitely a society that's like, OK, we can like pick ourselves up with our bootstraps. Whatever that saying is like, yeah, we're going to yeah. like become something great. You can be whoever you want to be. But then at the same time, it's like, oh, but you weren't always that. So, right. Like, right. It's a very like it's a very bad mixed message yeah um that's yeah. happening here it's like which is why it, it makes sense right like I'm picking myself up by my bootstraps whatever I'm now here I'm super proud of that and then everyone else is doing that uh, but <laughs> yeah exactly um actually I looked it up and uh everybody is from the United States all the s samples are from the United States that makes sense yeah um yeah so that does make sense um and so to get into the studies, actually, because that's kind of a helpful segue, the first study was done in an elite technology company um, that's on like top 100 places to work. Um, it's like listed as one of the most prestigious companies to work. So they don't say what the company is, but we can imagine they surveyed. Yeah, <laughs> they surveyed 229 people um, in that uh, in that organization at three time points. At the first time point, they asked them their parents' social class background, so their per their parental education and their parental occupational prestige. Um, so they looked at that to sort of create a composite of their social class background. Then in time two, they measured their self-efficacy, and then they also measured um, solicitation 
a voice from the supervisor. So whether or not the supervisor actually asked them for their voice, like my supervisor asked me to tell them about things that I think would be helpful or asked me to tell them about how things have been done in my prior jobs or seeks out advice or guidance from me. And they also measured um, uh, whether or not the employee used their voice at time three. So whether or not they actually said, yeah, and I did do that, right? So they're getting both at class self-efficacy and they're also getting at the extent to which the supervisor asked for their voice or they offered their voice um and so what they basically found here um is that social class background does predict self-efficacy so uh people who um tend to have uh lower social class backgrounds who are now in this elite firm report higher efficacy Mm -hmm. um and social class background um is also predictive of people wanting to offer their voice more so they're more likely to want to offer their voice but they're less likely to be asked to offer their voice and so what ends up happening is they're trying to voice uh, because they have higher self-efficacy but their managers are actually not asking for their voice Um, and so it's dampening basically when taken together it's dampening this effect of we would hear from these people a lot more except for that no one's asking them because they don't have the same social class background as other elite people in the organization. So the fact that they feel more self-efficacious makes them try to voice more, but the managerial uh, perception or the fact that they're not asked as much ostensibly like limits them from doing so to the extent that they would. Hmm. So basically everything that they were theorizing kind of came true. Yes, exactly. Um, So that was in the first study. But then they also had this long-term study of a cohort of thousands of people, like 4,000 people that they followed um, from 1957 all the way through people's lives. Whoa. Yeah. So that was kind of crazy. And they were able to actually calculate their initial social class in 1957 and then what their social class was 18 years later after their initial measure to see whether or not over time in their careers they switched social class. And then they were able to get measures of self-efficacy about 20 years after they measured the second social class as well as voice in the same category. And once again, they found that when people move social classes, it made them feel more self-efficacious and that made them want to offer their voice more or try to offer their voice more. So that study further cemented the self-efficacy portion of like, okay, this wasn't just a fluke that we found this. It looks like when we follow people over the course of their lives, the people who switched social classes tend to have more efficacy. And then they also report that they try to share their voice more frequently than other people do. That is wild how long this study is oh my goodness but yeah I mean I feel like it's kind of hard to argue like over a billion years we saw this happened (laughs) so wow that's incredible yeah yeah and then just to kind of finalize it um they wanted to uh also retest the portion of the study about um how the supervisors actually viewed people and so They asked people, so basically what they did was they made an experiment called the brain trust task where participants were told that they were the lead architect at a firm that designs luxury homes. So they made this uh, a high class status scenario that the participants are imagining they're in. And they say that they have to pick two people 
um, in the firm to be in their brain trust or a small group of employees that they would go to if they had problems or they needed ideas. So they're basically saying, okay, you're in this elite company, but you have to pick people that you're going to go to. So this is the voice solicitation thing. When you need help, who are going to be your go-to people basically? Um, so they have the participants go through and then they give them resumes about three people and they had to evaluate the resumes and also a short audio clip of the person's voice um, uh, reading an excerpt about themselves. Um, and so there were two conditions, half the participants, three of the people um, got three people and one of the people came from a lower class background, but had worked their way up to a higher class position. Um, and another in which one of the three people had been a stable, high class individual. And so they looked at which scenario made you more likely to pick one or the other person. Um, it was really interesting the way that they made these things because um, they basically uh, used uh, some background indicators. So in the upwardly mobile condition, they have this person named Jimmy Clark that you read about. They say that his undergraduate degree was from the University of Oklahoma, but he got his master's from MIT. Um, and they put in there in his resume, buried in the resume, that he mentors first-generation architecture students. Um, and his background was that he started off as a landscaper, then he worked as an auto, at an auto parts store, and then he started getting experience in architecture. Mm. But in the other condition, this person had both their undergraduate and their master's degrees from MIT. Um, they put that he mentors first-year architectural students, not first-generation architectural students, and they basically have his career trajectory starting with internships and moving through the firm. Interesting. Um, and then for the audio clips, they actually created, they worked with a linguist mm -hmm. to actually create a clip that has an accent that's more um, associated with lower class background. And for the um, higher class person, they had someone do an accent that is more associated with a higher class. I want to hear these files. <laughs> yeah, I know. So me too. Curious. I was thinking that. They're actually online. Yeah. Um, so if you want to hear them, you can. I will. Um, and what they basically were interested in is, okay, in the first study, they showed that people are less likely to ask for voice based on their social class background, but we don't know why. And so what this one basically showed was the reasons why. So they asked people to... Um, pick folks uh, out of these resumes and then rate them as why. And basically what they found was that people were more likely to pick the stable person than the unstable person. And they also found that the reason for that, as I had mentioned before, was because they thought that the, the social class changer was less competent and less of a social fit than the person that had not changed social classes. Oh my gosh, that is so dark I don't know <laughs> yeah not yeah great um and I'm assuming then that there was some measure of the class of the people that were doing the survey yes um so they did look at whether their own social class influenced their evaluations um and what they found was that at higher levels of the evaluator social class the relationship got stronger mm -hmm. so if I'm more elite I'm more likely to con to think that people of lower classes are less competent. Yes, you got it. Okay. So this is interesting, but it does, I mean, it still exists. Even if I am of a lower class, I still think that the higher class person is better. It just gets stronger as I get more elite, right? Yes, correct. Yep. 
Yeah. It's really interesting because I feel like <laughs> Danny and I feel, have this conversation all the time about like people that like really defend like Danny loves to read the comments on the internet, which is I think the most a scary place. Yes. Um, the worst place to be, but he, he gets really like confused about people that are clearly not of a high class, like just from the types of jobs that they talk about that they have and whatever that like defend people like Elon Musk, like to like the, right. the ends of the earth. They will defend these extremely wealthy people that, I mean, he definitely started like, you know, not impoverished by any means. Right. 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 Um, and, and he's always just so fascinated. It's like, why do we, but it, why do we put these more elite people in a, at a, on like a pedestal almost? And it feels like that this is confirming that in the workplace. Like we think that people that came from, you know, more elite backgrounds are better and they're more competent. And it's like this weird, I mean, I think it comes back to the cultural pieces that we're talking about, like the meritocracy in the States. It's like, well, if they're at that level, there's a reason why. And like, maybe if it from their family, just assume that there's like good genetics. I don't know what it is, but there's something weird that's happening from how we perceive people based on class. And it's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the authors feel the same way. (laughs) So they made some suggestions for what people can do to overcome this, what you're saying, basically to try to do better and to give people with upward trajectories a better, fairer shot in these more elite environments. So they first say that firms should really actually try to look for people with upward trajectories because they find in this study that they're more self-efficacious. Self-efficacy is related to motivation. It's related to performance, resiliency. Like there's a lot of things that self-efficacy helps. So if not for anything... This study does sort of demonstrate that being upwardly mobile brings some benefits to organizations. And so being that this is one of the first studies to demonstrate that, one of their takeaways is, hey, we've now cemented that people who are upwardly mobile over these, in these like big data sets even of people that they followed over the course of their lives, right, um, tend to have higher self-efficacy. That's something organizations want people to have. Um, So... They're basically saying like upward trajectories could be a positive thing. Like people could view that positively. If not viewing it positively, um, they also say that it's really important to make people aware of these stigmas that exist in the workplace so that they can recognize the value that they're placing on these class signals and try to really counteract those tendencies. So um, not just with regard to when they're making selection decisions like this uh, last experiment showed where they were picking people for their brain trust, but also that they may be overlooking asking for feedback from people in the workplace who have great feedback and are motivated to share it, but they're not being asked for their input. So they're also saying diversity and inclusion training and just talking about this more in organizations than we do right now might lead people who are doing this unconsciously to recognize that they're using social class as a marker and to try to actively not do that when they're thinking about who to ask for help or advice or guidance or who to pick for a particular role. Yeah, it sounds like the advice here is pretty much everything we'd be advising for any type of diversity, equity, inclusion initiative, right? Like we should be figuring out what biases and blind spots we have and trying to reduce using those things in any decision making, any information gathering, anything. Um, 
And this is just like one of those other areas where that's really crucial. Yeah, exactly. So the idea here is awareness is really important. And it's especially important in this arena because there's just not a lot of awareness. So if you don't already include social class in your diversity, equity, inclusion efforts, people are not thinking about how they're using that information to make decisions. That's a pretty good um, that's a pretty good thing to start to include. And also, if you are making these negative judgments, you might think about what being upwardly mobile might tell you about an employee's positive characteristics because this study starts to open some insights into that as well. Yeah, I think it's a great a great article, a great first step in talking about these things. I feel like we like to I mean, just like with anything when it comes to diversity, we like to think that we're like post class, post race, post you right. know, what gender, whatever, but we're not. And we need to recognize that. And obviously we talk about like intersectionality in general too, like there's a lot like class can be tied to a lot of different factors, um, which bring in additional biases. Like it's something we can't ignore, um, especially in the workplace. If we want to create a better work environment for everyone, a more equal work environment for everyone so that people can, you know, thrive based on their actual abilities, which we claim as a culture to want to do. We want it to be meritocracy. So we need to be aware of these biases so that we can actually get there completely agree that's a perfect summary (laughs) thank you um well thank you for sharing this article i thought it was really interesting and i am glad to see that there's work being done in this space yeah me too it caught my eye glad you liked it and hope everyone else liked it as well yeah for everyone listening love to hear your feedback as always you can always find us at contact at workerbeing.com you can find us on our website workerbeing.com and on social media at workerbeing um, and again, you can also join our community. We have a link in the show notes, uh, but you can go to our website, click on community, get some information there, and we will be able to chat about this in our private uh, community if you're interested. I'm sure that there's a lot of people will have a lot of thoughts. Actually, I'm really excited that once this episode airs to talk about it, the community, because I'm curious. I'm thinking of a few people in there right now that I'm like, ooh, I'm curious what they're going to say about this topic. So that should be fun. Yeah. Me too. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. 